It's a good day to be at church, yeah? It's a really good day. I'm having a bit of a laugh at um, Pastor Joe's announcement about the flashlights because, you know, we actually talked about this in staff meeting. We actually spend time talking about this. And uh, the women and the staff said, oh, we need to let people know that in order for the flashlight to work, dot, dot, dot. And Pastor Joe said, no, don't tell them. Don't take away the joy of the men to figure it out for themselves. So we didn't tell you. So don't get mad. Figure it out. Okay, and and it'll be good to go. But it's a good day to be in church, and uh, we um, we've been doing this um, this theme for the last several months, really since New Year's, when we talked about inside out church. And every now and then we're just sort of uh, revisiting that, revisiting that idea. And we started it on New Year's, and we said that the an inside out church is a church that do good, love each other, reveal Jesus. How many go? That sounds familiar. Okay, say it with me. Do good. Love each other, reveal Jesus. It's an inside-out church. We said it's a church that that does good. So it it contributes to the common good and is part of the community that we're in. We don't just huddle inside in the walls. And we, we let people see our good deeds. And we do it in such a way that people end up honoring God by saying, you know, wow, thank God that church is there. Do good. That's the kind of church we want to be. And then love each other with this incredible, generous love for each other within, with people, all of us forgiving each other and submitting to each other, and, um, and greatest serving the least, and, and this incredible, generous, extravagant love just like is found in the, in the Trinity, the same way that the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son love each other. Jesus prayed we would have that love among each other, and that, and that way people would see that, and they believe in Jesus. How many go, I totally remember you talking talking about this, Pastor Patty. More than three today. That's good, right? So a church that, that is focused on doing good and loving each other reveals Jesus. And it becomes an inside-out church, not just here in the walls, but right out there in the city of Montreal. And so we're constantly working here to make that a real thing. We don't want it just to be a slogan or just a catchphrase. We want it to really matter. And so, so we've moved some of our greeters outside on the sidewalk. And usually I'm one of them. I didn't make it out there this morning. But how many have noticed we have greeters every now and then outside the church on Sunday morning, right? We're trying to actually be nice to people that are out there and do good. And I've had some great conversations with people out there who don't even come to the church and go, why are you out here? And I go, I asked. There was never a rule against being nice. They said, wow, more churches should do that. That's what people say to me that don't even come. And so we do that kind of thing. We brought in um, the button system at the Connect Cafe, which allows everybody to live generously with each other and allows us to give away food and drinks to people that are coming in, to our first-time visitors and all of that. These are little things that make it inside out, that are part of doing good and loving each other. Of course, we have a prison ministry, which is one of the longest-standing ministries here in Evangel and one of the most invisible. And yet we have this group of people that go every month, and they head out to the prison, and they minister to people that are in prison. That's awesome, you guys. That's doing good. That's an inside-out church. And we talked about on Friday nights, we took some time and we talked about generations. And you go, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I'll tell you, when you got five generations in one church, the love each other part can get tricky sometimes. Hello? <laughs> and we thought, let's take some time on Friday nights and actually understand each other, learn about the different generations in the church, figure out how we can honor each other and show love to each other, and maybe we can, we, maybe we can do this inside-out church thing a little bit better. And so we did that. And then last Saturday, how many were at Cabot Square last Saturday? A week ago, when we had that awesome barbecue and, and jazz concert, it was phenomenal. If you missed it, 
like you missed it. And it was awesome. But we got to go around. I got to meet um, our community police officers that are here. I got to talk to people that, that just live out here in the community. I got to pray with one person. Brought my little dog along, Andy. And turns out she's a conversation opener with everyone. And so got to talk to a million people. And so it's just constantly working towards this inside-out church idea. Do good. Love each other. Reveal Jesus. Man, how do we keep moving forward on it? Because it's really easy to, to not. It's really easy to, to not focus on being inside out and to simply just do church and, and keep it going. You know, the machine that is evangel. Because after all, we've been doing it for 100 years and surely we've got it figured out by now. And so I was praying about this recently and I just was working through the thoughts going on in my head. I was trying to prepare for today and I'm also thinking about I, I'm going to be speaking for a week at a camp in Ontario in July and it's a camp that has all kinds of history as well. My grandparents had a cottage there and I was just thinking it all through and, and trying to figure it out and going, God, can you just show me where to go with this? And, and Zechariah started going through my mind, the book of Zechariah. And Zechariah is a minor prophet in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible's that you have. Zechariah is one of the minor prophets. There's major prophets and there's minor prophets. And really the only difference is the major ones took longer to say what they had to say. Okay. They talked a lot more. The minor ones, they just shorten it up. There it was. And, and it was there. It doesn't mean they were less important. They're just, they're just shorter. And, and prophets are a little bit difficult to understand when you go through the Old Testament. How many of you have tried to read some of the prophets and gave up? Admit it. Admit it. Anybody? Just me. Oh, yeah, a bunch of you. You're grinning at me, right? They're hard. They're, they're not quite as laid back and as chill and as easy to understand as Jesus. And if you don't understand the big picture of what's going on, then you're going to get lost in the meaning and you're not going to understand what the prophets are talking about. But, but, if you know the history, if you understand the big picture, it's going to help add meaning. So we're going to get to Zechariah today, but we're first we're going to look at the big picture of the story, okay? Settle back, okay? Turn to the person beside you and say, big picture. Big picture today, okay? And you can help me walk it through. I'm going to go through it at top speed. You ready? Here we go. It starts with Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. God said, I will make a great nation out of you. He said, your people are going to be God's people. You're going to have this land. You're going to be called. You're the chosen people. And it all started with, with Abraham. And generations later, you find Abraham's descendants. They're in slavery in Egypt. And then you hear, you've heard the little stories about 10 plagues that came along and let my people go. And they finally escape out of Egypt. And that's Moses that takes them out of Egypt. And then for a generation, they wander around in the wilderness because they're nomads and they're going around from place to place as God's leads them. And then we go to the tabernacle. Say with me, tabernacle. Tabernacle. During that time that they're in the wilderness, God tells them to build a tabernacle, which is sort of a movable sanctuary. Very specific instructions on how it should be built. He wants them to understand the sacredness and the holiness of God's presence. And he also wants them to understand that God's presence is with them wherever they travel and wherever they go. So it's portable. It's movable. And then God also during that time gives them a law code and standards of how their society is supposed to work and helps them understand this is what God's people are supposed to look like. This is who God's people are supposed to be. And it includes concepts like caring for the poor and social justice 
and justice in a court system and the well-being of the community and how families work and all of that kind of thing. And then you go on in the history to promised land. Say that with me. Promised land. And eventually they get to the promised land, this land that God had promised Abraham long ago that they would be able to get to. And each tribe gets their own space because Abraham's descendants, there's so many of them now, they're divided into tribes. And the tribes are based on the names, are you ready for this, of Abraham's great-grandsons. He had 12 great-grandsons. Each of those great-grandsons has descendants. And now each of those groups of descendants are the tribes. And they each get their own territory. And together, all those tribes and all those territories form ancient Israel. Right? Big picture. This is what we're doing today. And then you go on to judges. Say that with me. Judges, okay? So judges, at first the governance of this whole nation of this ancient Israel with all the tribes, at first the governance of it is pretty loose. It's pretty, you know, everybody just kind of does their own thing, and it's sort of more tribal than it is national. And, and there's a bunch of judges that God rises up, raises up to help govern the thing. And there's also prophets that raise up, and they get help to, to give spiritual guidance. And they help to keep order. And eventually, the nation of Israel and the different tribes start going, you know what? We don't like this system. We want a king. We want to be like other nations, they said. We want a king. And so we move on to, say it with me. Kings. Are you enjoying this big picture? Fastest big picture you've ever heard, right? Kings. We move on to kings. So the first king is Saul. He's chosen as a king. He messes up. He's out. Okay? That's the short version. And then David is chosen as a king. And King David, he's this warrior. And he's, he's deeply loved by the nation. He unites the 12 tribes, brings them together in one nation. He loves to worship. He loves God. When David messes up, man, he messes up spectacularly. But when he comes back to God, he does it wholehearted, and he's just, he's just proof that God loves people who are passionate about him, even when they're really, really imperfect. But David's a pretty good king, and David wants to build a temple. David wants to build a permanent place for God. Because remember, they had the tabernacle before when they wandered around in the wilderness. They don't have that anymore. They still have the Ark of the Covenant, which moves around, and it's this symbol of God's presence with them. And, and But David says it would be awesome to build a really fabulous, permanent structure that says God lives here, right? I want to build a building that says this is the symbol of God. This is where God lives. This is what it's all about because we're God's people. And even though David knows that God is not contained by any human structure, he understands that. Still, it's a symbol. And it's a really powerful symbol. It's going to bring everybody together. And it's going to be this permanent visual reminder that they are God's people. And David wants to build this. And God says, no. <laughs> God says, you know what, David? Love ya. This is my version. Love you. But you got too much blood on your hands. You're a warrior. You've done everything I've called you to do. I don't want you to build me a temple. But if you're really, you know, dead set on this, uh, build me a temple, let your son do it. When your son rises up and he becomes king, then, then he can build the temple. And so, so David passes away, and Solomon, his son, becomes the next king. And Solomon builds this temple, this really extravagant, gorgeous, wonderful temple, this permanent structure that says God is here, and just put a finger in that spot because we're going to come back to that part of the story. Okay? You got that marked? Yes? Looking for, looking for a response here. 
Yes, there we go. Thank you. So then, after the kings, we go on to, say it with me, nation splits. During King Solomon's time, things are mostly good. He's a good king. It's the glory days of Israel. Everything is great. But after him, it all just goes downhill. And there's a whole bunch of stories and a whole bunch of reasons of why that happens. But the nation essentially splits. And the nation of Israel is in the north. And the nation of Judah is in the south. And people aren't worshiping God anymore. They're doing whatever they want. They're still calling themselves God's people. They still consider themselves to be God's chosen people, but they're doing whatever they want. They're worshiping other gods. They're not really practicing their faith in any way that has meaning. And sure, the temple sacrifices are still happening because there's the temple and is this big symbol that says God lives here and this is where God is. But as a whole, God's people are not acting like God's people. You can't even tell the difference between them and everybody else. And so generations go by, and everything's getting worse in Israel and in Judah. And prophets start coming up again, and they start giving these messages that go, that guys, this isn't good. And the prophets are going around Israel, and they're going around Judah, and they're saying, if you don't listen to God, we're supposed to be God's people. If we don't start living like God called us to do, it's going to be bad. He's going, guys, you're God's chosen people, these different prophets. You are God's people. This is not how Israel is supposed to be. And yes, the temple is here. And it's this structure and it's this symbol. But God's not actually an idiot. And just throwing a few sacrifices his way while you do whatever you want, that's not going to go well. And these prophets keep sending this message over and over and over again. And nobody listens. Which takes us to exile. And so eventually, the promised land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants that they moved into after they got out of slavery and out of Egypt, the promised land is overrun and God's people are taken away. And they're taken to another land, they're taken into exile, into a land that isn't theirs, a land that has no temple, no symbol of God's presence. And the temple in Jerusalem, the temple that is in the land where they've been taken from, that temple is totally plundered and totally destroyed. And it's brutal. This, this symbol, this, this powerful symbol of God's presence is gone. And God's people have nothing now. Not even the temple. All they have is prophets who say to them while they're way off in exile, don't worry, one day. You'll come back. God hasn't forgotten. You're still God's people. And around 70 years later, which, by the way, is exactly what Jeremiah the prophet prophesied. He told them, 70 years, you're going to be in exile. About 70 years later, a guy named Cyrus took over the Babylonian Empire, which had invaded Israel and had taken over and occupied it and taken them into exile. And he's Persian. And so now Cyrus takes over the Babylonian Empire. And now the people of Israel, God's people, are part of the Persian Empire. And Cyrus is actually a pretty good guy. He actually cares about the people that are part of his empire. He's, let's say he's a good politician. He wants to keep everyone happy. And so he tells the Jewish people in exile, just like he tells all kinds of other people in exile, he tells the Jewish people in exile, go home, rebuild Jerusalem, and you can rebuild your temple. Wow. And they're so pumped. And they're so excited about it all. It's this dream come true. We're going to be God's people again. 
We're going to rebuild Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild the temple, this awesome structure that that God had promised. All the things that God had promised were going to come to pass, and we're going to rebuild, and the symbol of God's presence is going to be with us again, and everything's going to be great because we're God's people, and we have the temple to prove it. But it's tough going. They get back to Jerusalem. It's really wrecked, and the, the temple's really destroyed. And there's other people that had been taken away from their lands and brought into exile in Israel. And so now they're sort of living there. They've been there for 70 years. So they sort of want to be part of things because they want to hang on to some political power. And the temple was really, really destroyed. And now there's this little Jewish community that's been displaced for 70 years. And now they've come back and they don't have any power and they don't really have much money to work with. And they don't have much leadership. And they're trying to rebuild their city and rebuild their houses and rebuild the temple. And it gets really discouraging, and it doesn't feel so much like they're God's people. They just feel like people in ruins. So the work slows down and nearly comes to a stop for 15 or 20 years. And that's when Zechariah, that minor prophet that I told you about at the beginning, that's when Zechariah comes on the scene. How many are with me so far? Okay. Now, let me walk you through some of the highlights of Zechariah's message. He's talking to the people who've come back to rebuild the temple. They're God's people. They're discouraged people. And the first thing he does is call them back to God. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is what he says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't be like your ancestors who wouldn't listen or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, turn from your evil ways and stop all your evil practices. He's calling them back. He says, listen, guys, you have to come back. You have to live as God's people were told to live. You have to come back and live the way God has called you to live because they're God's people after all. And then a little further down in the same chapter, verse 16, he says, My temple will be rebuilt, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And measurements will be taken for the reconstruction of Jerusalem. He promises them, yes, the temple's going to be rebuilt. Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt again. Don't worry. And then you go on in chapter 4, verse 9, and he says, Zerubbabel. Say that with me because it's just fun. Zerubbabel, right? Just like the person next to you and go, Zerubbabel. Best name ever, okay? Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Well, that's encouraging. That's not some far-off prophecy, because Zerubbabel, see, I trip over it. Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah. He's the governor that Persia has put in place. He's in charge of it, and God is saying he's going to be in charge of it. He's laying the foundation. He's going to make sure it's finished, and so it's in the foreseeable future that the temple's going to be rebuilt. That's good news. And then he goes on in chapter 6, verse 15. Zechariah says, people will come from distant lands to rebuild the temple of the Lord. How cool is that? And when this happens, you will know that my messages have been from the Lord of heaven's armies. And all this will happen if you carefully, what's the word there? Obey what the Lord your God says. Tons of people, he says, are going to come and help rebuild the temple. And then. And then, this strange twist happens in the story, okay? Zechariah chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. So now we got a bunch of exiles in Jerusalem, 
getting built up again. They're going to rebuild the temple. And other people send a message, and this is what happens. On December 7th of the fourth year of King Darius's reign, you go, who is Darius? Remember I said there was 15 or 20 years where nothing happened? During that time, Cyrus died. Darius took over. Okay? King, on December 7th of the fourth year of King Darius's reign, another message came to Zechariah from the Lord. The people of Bethel had sent two guys along with their attendants, to seek the Lord's favor. And they were to ask this question of the prophets and the priests at the temple of the Lord of Heaven's armies. This was the question that they want to know. Should we continue to mourn and fast each summer on the anniversary of the temple's destruction as we've done for so many years? Should we continue to still mourn the anniversary of the temple's destruction like we've done all this time in exile, because, you know, like the temple's being rebuilt now, right? And everything's fine. We're back to being God's people now because the temple's being rebuilt. And so everything's great. So do we keep fasting or do we just move on like life's normal? And verse 4, the Lord of heaven's armies sent this message in reply. Say to all your people and your priests, During those 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer and in early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? And even now, in your holy festivals, aren't you just eating and drinking just to please yourselves? Ouch. And you can hear the people sputtering. What? What? No? What? What do you mean? Well, no, I mean, we were upset that the temple was gone because that was the evidence that we're God's people. And that's what matters. I mean, how can we be God's people without a... What? What? Watch this. You ever have a time when, when you ask God a question and he goes a whole direction that you never saw coming? Anybody ever had that? Okay. So, so they asked about, should we continue mourning and fasting for the anniversary of the destroyed temple? God kind of says to them, oh, please, you were never that upset about it anyway. You were doing it for yourselves, not for me. And here's what God's answer is about the, should we keep on mourning and fasting for the temple? This message came to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. Okay, wait, what? Now that the temple's being rebuilt, God, everything's good, right? We're just back to being the people of God because we, we got a temple. So, so it's all good. Do we need to keep the rituals around the temple? What do you want us to do? And God says, actually, you need to actually live like God's people are supposed to live. It was never about the temple. It was never about the temple. The temple was a symbol of God's presence. And it was a powerful symbol of God's presence. And it was something that drew people together around God. And it reminded them of God's presence with them. And it was this symbol that reminded them that they were God's people. But that's all it was. Just a symbol. And the whole point of this thing was not to rebuild the temple and then brush their hands off and go, well, that's that. We got that taken care of. Now we can just move on with regular life. No. The whole point was to live 
as God's people were supposed to live. Show mercy. Judge fairly. Be kind to each other. Don't oppress vulnerable people. And don't scheme against each other. It's sad that God had to tell his people that. Don't scheme against each other. And if you read the parts that I skipped over, and you can do that this afternoon when you go home, you'll see that God says, guys, this is why I was upset with your ancestors. This is why things fell apart in the first place. This is why you ended up going into exile. You thought it was about the temple. It wasn't about the temple. It was never about the temple. It was about their commitment to live the way I called them to live. It was about God's people standing out as God's people. And then God explains further. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 15. Now I'm determined to bless Jerusalem and the people of Judah, God says. So don't be afraid, but this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your court that are just and that lead to peace. Don't scheme against each other. Stop your love of telling lies that you swear are the truth. And then look what happens. It's just verse 20. This is what God says will happen. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. The people of one city will say to the people of another, come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. Let's worship the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. And many people and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of heaven's armies and to ask for his blessing. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In those days, 10 men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew and they will say, please let us walk with you for we have heard that God is with you. Not because of the temple but because God's people were living the way God called his people to live. Isn't that amazing? It had never been about the temple, actually. Remember I asked you to put a bookmark in that spot where I talked about Solomon building the temple? Flip back there in your mind to that little bit. I just want to touch on that quickly. Solomon, who built the first big temple, he was David's son, and David wanted to build it, and and God wouldn't let him, but his son did. Oh, Solomon built that temple. Oh, he built it, and he made it beautiful, and he made it amazing, and he did all kinds of, there's this whole passage describing it, all the specifications, etc. and it was very, very impressive. And here's the first thing that God has to say about it, okay? First Kings chapter 8, so there's been this whole passage of, of Solomon building the temple and all the details about how wonderful it is, and then it says in verse 11, first Kings chapter 6, sorry, then the Lord gave this message to Solomon, concerning this temple you're building, Do you hear a slight disinterest there? A little bit of disconnect, God going, uh, excuse me. Concerning this temple that you're building. If you keep all my decrees and regulations and obey all my commands, I will fulfill through you the promise I made to your father David. And I will live among the Israelites and will never abandon my people Israel. So Solomon finished building the temple. Do you see what happened there? I feel like Solomon didn't quite hear what God said. God starts off with, uh, concerning this temple that you're building. And Solomon goes, oh, yeah? And then God says nothing about the temple. Listen, about the temple says nothing about the temple. 
Instead, he talks about, I want you to live the way I've told you to live. I want God's people to live in the way that God has called. And Solomon, and so what's Solomon's response? So Solomon finished building the temple. A little bit of a disconnect there. A little bit of a, and to Solomon's credit, now to be fair, when the temple was finished, this is the blessing that he prayed in 1 Kings chapter 8. He said, may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors before there was a temple. And may he never leave us or abandon us. May he give us the desire to do his will in everything and to obey all the commands and decrees and regulations that he gave our ancestors before there was a temple. And then people all over the earth will know that the Lord alone is God and there is no other. None of that mentions the temple. It wasn't about the temple. It was never about the temple. It was a symbol, a powerful symbol, no doubt. And there's nothing wrong with having a temple, but it wasn't about the temple. It's about God's people living the way God had called them to live. And people would recognize God because of it. Turn to the person beside you and say, it's not about the temple. It's not about the temple. It's not about the building. Even this building. Oh, she did not just go there. She did. It's not about the building. It's a symbol. It's a powerful symbol, this space that we have here. But it's just a symbol that there's a local group of followers of Jesus here in this place who are following God and doing doing what God called us to do and living in the way that God called us to live. That's what a church is. Without followers of Jesus, it's not a church, it's just a building. Hello? And and this is why at the end of every service, we pray, God, would you help us to walk out of this building? Would you help us to walk out of this symbol of God's presence? And God, would you help us to carry Jesus well into our world? God, would you help us to do good in our world? Would you help us to love each other? Would you help us to reveal Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't live here. Jesus doesn't live in the building. It's just a building. We are his church. And and so we talk about inside-out church. And we say, do good. Find the good in the community and add to it. Add to the good in our world. Let people see our good deeds. Be salt and light, the Bible says. Not all in one spot gathered together, super salty and really bright. But going out into the world and sprinkling a little bit of salt here and a little bit there and adding flavor and pushing back darkness with light here and light over there and pushing back the darkness that's part of our world. Do good. Love each other. With crazy, extravagant, generous love that always forgives, even when we drive each other crazy. (laughs) Even when we get on each other's nerves. I know that doesn't happen to any of you. But you know, even on the times when we're offended by each other, or when we strongly disagree, how many know we have to work hard sometimes to love each other? So... (laughs) It's the strongest amen I've gotten since I moved here. (laughs) Do good, 
love each other, reveal Jesus because people don't see God because of a building. They see God because of his people living as God's people are supposed to do, living the way God has called them to live. And that is true for each of us as individuals. And it's true for us together as well as a church. Can I just tell you, if all we do as a church is come to this building once a week, we're missing the point. If all we do as a church is come to this building a bunch of times in a week, missing the point. We are God's people, with or without a temple. And it would be so easy to give in to that temptation. Can I just be honest with you? We're right now setting our budget for the next year. It's not a fundraising sermon. Don't worry. I'm just telling you. This is what's in my world right now. We're setting budget for the next year. And can I just tell you, the building and the maintenance and the machine that is the evangel, wow, it sure does take a lot of energy. Sure does take a lot to pour into it. And it would be easy to say, well, you know, but that's what matters. It's the building that matters the most. It's the facility because everything that happens within these walls is what really matters. And once we've got that covered, once we've got everything settled within these walls, well, then we'll see if there's anything left over for, you know, out there. And it would be easy to do that, but as long as, because as long as we just keep up the rituals associated with this space, then that's what matters because, you know, we're God's people. And look, here's the proof. We have a temple. What a tragedy that would be. Because God's not interested in the building. God doesn't care about the building. He's interested in his church. He's interested in his people who are living the way that he's called them to live. So we're fighting hard here. We're fighting hard to push back against the temptation to simply maintain a symbol. We're fighting hard. It's a powerful symbol, no doubt. This is a hundred-year-old church. What a symbol. What a powerful symbol of what God can do. And we're fighting hard to push back against a temptation that says, let's just keep doing what we've been doing for a hundred years. Let's just keep on maintaining what is, and then we don't have to worry about anything else. We can just brush off our hands and say, well, we got that taken care of. We're fighting really hard to listen to a God who says, concerning this temple, concerning this 100-year-old church called Evangel, if you as a church live the way I've called you to live, if you as a church give yourself wholeheartedly to who I've called you to be, I'll be with you. Because it's not about the temple. And that's why, as we move forward as a church, that's why we keep talking about being inside out. That's why, for our Vacation Bible School program that we have this summer, you'll get a discount if you bring a friend who doesn't know Jesus. Because we're not just running it within the walls here. We're trying to be out there and bring people in to meet Jesus. That's why most of our 100th anniversary events are not in this space They're out there. 
We're celebrating out there what God has done, bringing good to people, doing good, showing them the love that we have, not just huddled within and celebrating ourselves. That's why when on our next day that we have our 100th anniversary event, which is on this card and is Saturday, July 16th, that's why at the same time it's going to be the busiest Saturday of the year. Because during the day, our Francophone campus on the east side is having their big outreach. They're going out and doing good in their community, and they need help. And I don't know how to speak French, so I can't help them reach out to people. But I can pick up garbage for them. I can flip burgers for them. And some of you can help me with that so that our campus over there can actually go out and reach out to their neighborhood. And then I'm going to come back because we've got our 100th anniversary here that night at Cabot Square. We're having dessert and a concert and all of that. Do good. Love each other. Let's reveal Jesus to two neighborhoods on the same day. Can you imagine? That's, that's what an inside-out church does. It's a church that lives as God has called his people to live. Doing good loving each other, standing out as different from everybody else around them, and revealing Jesus as we do. Would you stand with me? I want you to hold out your hands if you want to. It's a symbol for me of of openness to God and of being willing to hear from him. So God, together we stand here as your people. It's a bit of a weird message this morning, but it matters. And I stand here, God, with my hands open in front of you as a symbol of openness. God, we're asking you as a church, would you help us to never become satisfied with what you've already done? Would you help us, God, even while we honor the past, even while we give thanks for the past, even while we, we give thanks to you for everything that you've done, God, we thank you for this facility. It's a symbol of a hundred years of God at work in downtown Montreal. How amazing is that? But God, would you help us never to be settled on that? Help us never to just sit back and brush off our hands and say, well, that's good. Got that done. Now we can move on. God, I'm asking you to drop a passion within us greater than there's ever been for a hundred years to be the people of God, to be people who live their lives as God has called us to live. I'm asking you, God, to drop that so deep in our hearts that that God, even while we come here and this becomes the central space from which we work, at the same time, we would be longing to get out of the building and out into our neighborhood and to carry Jesus to the places you've called us to carry you. God, would you help us to always remember that people see God because of us, because of his people. What a sacred responsibility that is. So God, as we finish this service this morning and as we get ready to go, I'm praying the same as I do every single Sunday. Would you help us to carry Jesus well out of this space, in our work, with our family, with our friends, every place that we go this week, would you help us to bring the Spirit of God into that place? Would you help us to do good in that place? 
Would you help us to show love to each other outside of these walls? Would you help us to do so much good and, and love each other so generously and so crazy that people are drawn and they go, I need to talk to you because you've got something that I've never had. God, would you help us to reveal Jesus as we live as the people of God? We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Everyone said together, amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Go downstairs. The Connect Cafe has some food and coffee. You can hang out with each other, and we'll see you next Sunday. Happy Father's Day to all the dads.